Hi, it's Thomas. Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to let you know that there is sometimes background noise of people walking and talking up and down the stairs in the venue. I try to minimize the background noise as much as possible, but sometimes it's notable. Also, I want to let you know that on the website neonmaria.com podcast, you can watch videos and images of the projects we talk about in the episode. And you can support the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash thomasdam. It would mean the world to me. And if that's not in the works for you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others to find out about the show. And now, without any further ado, here's the show. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Neo Marais Show. My name is Thomas Daan. Today I'm at FITC, the annual Future of Innovation, Technology and Creative Event here in Amsterdam. My guest today is Emily Blatz. She's a food technologist, experience designer, multimedia artist and educator who uses food as a material and metaphor for creativity and multi-sensual communication. That's, <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> and um, <laughs> what led up to finding food as, a, as your material to work with? I was, I've, well, I've always been very interested in food because my mother is French and my father is American. Mm. And I grew up outside of Chicago in the middle of America, and my mother continued her French culinary traditions in her home, mm-hmm. which meant that we ate very differently than the people around us. And what that did is it created a really good sense of community in our family. It was a very strong sense of identity that mm-hmm. we had because we ate differently, but it also meant that we were different. Right. And so I started to see pretty clearly that how people ate often paralleled how they behaved. Mm-hmm. and so. And human behavior is always something that I've been keenly interested in. I Mm -hmm. studied industrial design for my master's degree. And I studied, I chose to study that because it was the study of human experience, I think at heart. And so when it, uh, I did a thesis and I could choose kind of whatever I wanted to do. And I thought, ah, no one is really looking at food as a material for design. This was Mm -hmm. 2005. Mm -hmm. So I started to do a lot of research around uh, the American cultural Mm -hmm. context why Americans eat the way that they do, mm-hmm. and therefore how food could help design, intervene, provoke, surprise, create new ways. So it really first was a material study for me, right. and then very quickly became a human study. So what was different from the French cuisine at home and uh, eating with your, f- uh, your American friends? So how, how was that different? For me, food is not just about the flavor. Mm-hmm. It is really about the experience, because I think the experience also affects the flavor. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine that out in my own childhood experience, what was so different about our eating experience was that we ate much later in the day. We ate mm-hmm. at 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. All of my friends ate at like 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sat down. There was no television involved. Many of my friends were watching TV. Mm-hmm. Food did not come out of a box. There were very few packaged goods. Everything mm-hmm. was made from an ingredient. Um, and there, were, there was a big ceremony around it. My mother was very interested in making beautiful things. And mm-hmm. so there was really beautiful dishware and glassware. Mm-hmm. And I always was seduced by the beauty of the experience. And not to say that, my, that the American context isn't beautiful, but it was a very different mm-hmm. experience. You mm-hmm. know? And our meals were long. For better and for worse, because when you were a kid, you really wanted to go outside and play. Right. <laughs> so there was time. There was the design of the table. There was also, I think, the uh, maybe the, the way the, f- the things were prepared, too. 
it mm -hmm. took my mom maybe a little bit longer to make the food mm -hmm. because she was doing it mostly from scratch. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, it became something that I just saw was really important to her right. and allowed her to have a lot of creativity. And I think that was maybe the, the thing that, that really differentiated mm -hmm. it is that there was someone who was really excited and happy yeah. to do it. And outside of culture, I think that says a lot. Yeah, exactly. So but yeah. it is also that uh, my mother-in-law is uh, also French. Oh, wonderful. So I... <laughs> at later age, I discovered yeah. like the French cuisine at home. So yeah. I see uh, uh, I have all kinds of references. Is it also like like the way uh, your mother, for example, cuts like the vegetables like very thin, or arrange them in a certain way, or like yes. uh, make different uh, surprising combinations of spices and and sla or you know different ingredients definitely yeah presentation was a big mm. part right she was very interested in making like lots of thin slices of yeah. zucchinis and arranging them to look like a flower but you know the interesting thing is that the invention the new spices mm -hmm. that actually was my father i'll always remember this my mother went to france one year to go visit her family and we stayed with my dad and my mom would prepare meals mm -hmm. you know so we had always something to eat and we could reheat it or mm -hmm. something but we ran out of food at one point and she was not going to be home for several days still. And so my father, for the first time, and this I'm sure he cooked before, but this is the first time in my memory, he took out carrots and he decided he would make carrot salad. Mm. And he took the carrots and he chopped them into very large pieces, like as big as your hand, you mm -hmm. know, and put them in a bowl. And that was a salad. <laughs> and I was so amazed. Mm. I had never had carrot salad like this. Carrot mm -hmm. salad was always like shredded with mm -hmm. raisins in it, you know? No, this was like a big, crunchy, hard experience. Mm. And I mean, when you're a child, everything is new. So this was wild to mm. me. And then he took a can of soup and he opened it up and he put it in a pot and then he added other things to the soup. Right. Which I had never known was possible either. And if I look back on that time now, it's quite silly, you know, because mm -hmm. he was just kind of a bad cook. But <laughs> but through the eyes of a child, it was also new. And I still remember that meal mm -hmm. because I was so impressed that there is another way of doing something. So, you know, the, the unexpected combinations were right. from both of them. Yeah, yeah. that's really amazing. So you go to school, you do your, your thesis, and then you start your practice, or did, did you start up your own practice? Or? I did start my own practice, but not right after school. Okay. Yeah, right after school, I came. I went actually to France to work in mm -hmm. a design studio, which mm -hmm. at the time was called El Design. Mm -hmm. Now it is run by a man named Arik Levy, who is an Israeli designer who works a lot in furniture and decorative objects. And so at the time, that was a multidisciplinary design studio. He and Pippo Leone had founded it. Pippo was a very famous environmental designer, so mm -hmm. did the graphics for the Louvre, mm -hmm. Bibliothèque Nationale. So I did a little bit of everything. I designed cell phones for LG in like 2006, yeah, you know? Yeah. It was a wild pioneer front. Clothes, uh, some tabletop, some furniture. Mm -hmm. So I really worked as an industrial designer across mm -hmm. a lot of different media, and then I came back to the States and I worked in, I were a freelance a little bit, and then I worked in an agency and it ended up getting into uh, brand strategy and innovation. Because before all of this, I had first studied screenwriting. Mm -hmm. So I did film studies mm -hmm. and modern dance. Right. Yeah, as one does. But storytelling is at the heart of all of that. Right. And stories of the future are something I'm really interested in. So I worked in an agency doing strategy. 
and then the way that I got back to food is that I was getting a little tired of my work at the time. And so to delight myself, I would take the free office snacks mm -hmm. in this agency and make these funny little meals for myself with my intern. Mm -hmm. And I, they were just ridiculous and we would laugh and it was a nice moment in the day. And a friend of mine uh, ran a design website in New York called Core 77, which mm -hmm. is a big industrial yeah. design website. And they do like back to school specials yeah. and they did a hack to work special and he asked me if I would contribute something mm -hmm. that was food based and so I said, oh, this is a way I could contribute. contribute. And yeah. so I made up all these recipes using the gastronomic recipes I had grown up with with yeah. my mom and remaking them using only American junk food. And that went on the internet and then a book publisher called and mm -hmm. said, have you ever thought of making a cookbook? Mm -hmm. And I said, of course. Mm -hmm. And so I got a book deal. And with that, I That's decided, right? yeah, I don't know, this was luck, huh? But I decided that this was really what I wanted to do. And so I left the agency and took this cookbook as the project that started my studio. And from there, it has just continued. Hmm. So I started doing, in the beginning, I did a lot of hospitality design, restaurants and bars, as well as some tabletop design, much more traditional interpretations of food design. And then more and more got into interactive media and um, just got really interested in the potentials for how could we radically create mm -hmm. new behaviors. Right. And, and sensing technology mm -hmm. offers a really interesting language, I think, that goes along with food since mm -hmm. it deals in the senses. And that has inspired all of these musical instruments out of food that I've been making, as well as a lot of different interactive dinners that I do. Uh, when did you discover there were like sensors? that you could use? When did I discover yeah, that there were sensors? <laughs> very <laughs> late, very late. Oh, I did I not study interactive technology, you know? I'm like, I'm a trained industrial designer. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. like, there is a project that you do, or there's, there is a friend, and then mm. they introduce you to new techniques, or yeah. if you think about that, and how did it sparkle your imagination? Yeah, good question. The first thing that did that was the makey-makey, such a rudimentary, like, okay, mini, it's like a mini Arduino board that's okay. sold for kids. Yeah. Now, and... It was so easy to program. I think mm -hmm. that was why it was like I could do it, mm -hmm. right? I didn't know. And that, that was like, what, 2012, between 2012-2013? So I could do it and make things. Like famously, you can make a banana piano with the Makey Makey, right? Mm -hmm. It's basically like making on-off buttons. And I thought, wow, this could totally change everything like mm -hmm. I didn't know my banana could be music how funny is that and then I got uh, I was then part of the first class of the new museums incubator called New Inc which is an incubator for art design and technology that's hosted in the new museum in New York and I was the first class of that and it was a bit of the wild west of what like what can technology and art do mm -hmm. and it was a big question and mm -hmm. I like being in those spaces and there are a lot of people who are really like super professional mm -hmm coders and creative technologists. And so I learned a lot from them. Mm -hmm. And they really became my inspiration because they were looking at the world actually in similar ways. We were all, I think, a very like mind and like spirit um, and started to complement each other and what our skill sets were. And so that, I think, was really the moment that served as my next education, mm -hmm. which was learning more about interactive technology um, and also learning the language of it to be able to communicate because I'm not a very good coder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But I know enough about it that I can work with people and set some basic goals and right. scripts and whatnot. Right. You know the basics, so you can say to other people who are like yeah, more equipped. Yeah, because they've done it their yeah, whole exactly. life, and they're pros. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you combine 
the sense of technology with the food experience. Well, the most famous example is the Licking Ice Cream Orchestra. Yeah, which you just did which on I stage. just performed here at yeah. FITC. I didn't perform it. Four incredibly courageous people performed it. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a project that was done in collaboration with an artist and technologist, Carla Diana, and she runs the Cranbrook 4D program, which is a new program in four-dimensional design. And she and I taught together at the School of Visual Arts, and we had a residency there and wanted to bring our love of food and technology. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about like what are the moments that tickled you, you mm -hmm. know, she has been working in computing technologies for a very long time, and I've been working in food and industrial design for a very mm -hmm. long time. So we kind of were showing each other our tricks, you know? And so she brought capacitive sensing in one day, mm -hmm. and we did all these experiments with it, like kneading dough and seeing like what would happen if we wanted to do a bread show or something like this, or straws that had capacitance in them. But the most successful one was ice cream cone mm -hmm. that, we, that was just marvelous because your tongue was licking ice cream, and with every lick it would obviously create mm -hmm. some form of data that then would trigger a little sound. And that was the most delightful. That was the thing that tickled our imagination mm -hmm. the most, you know? And so workshopping that piece really showed us, you know, that sensing technology could add actually another layer of experience mm -hmm. to eating yeah. and, and transform the way that maybe we thought about eating and more importantly felt about eating. Right, because you put the audience who are participating in the, in the installation to go a step further than they normally do. Yeah, and so reveal that the act of eating is also a performance. Right. You know, because this case, the end result was a series of four rapid prototyped ice cream cones mm -hmm. with capacitive sensing, and then ice cream is placed in them, and so as participants lick the ice cream, mm -hmm. they're triggering MIDI, mm -hmm. which yeah. is creating music. <coughs> so it takes this everyday act of, like, everybody eats an ice cream, an ice cream cone at some point in their life. And so it, question, it asks, you know, it questions, what do I do? But also questions, like if you, th licking is a very interesting topic, I think, mm -hmm. because, well, I have a little child now, mm -hmm. a 10 month old, and you see them, they put everything in their mouth, right? right. <laughs> and we really discover the world through our mouth. It's mm -hmm. an amphitheater of all of our senses. Yeah. Um, and so, when, but, it's, but, it, but licking things and putting things in our mouth becomes so unconscious as we mm -hmm. become older. Mm -hmm. And so I like engaging that really primitive interaction mm -hmm. as adults yeah. and saying, hey, because it's actually quite like uh, risque and provocative now to do it in front of people, you know, it has a yeah. different meaning. And it questions that. It's like, is it, is it a different meaning or mm -hmm. is it discovery? What do you choose? And those yeah, are the exactly. lines that I like to blur. Uh, when you grow older, your notion of licking changes a lot. It gets yeah. so many, so it's really in intimate. Yeah. Um, uh, in one of your projects that you showed earlier in your talk is that people are licking their their phone, yeah. which is like gross. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like funny because instead of touching it with your fingers, you have to have this uh, sense with with your tongue on your on your uh, on the glass. We also have a little girl now and. She puts everything also in her mouth. How important is this that you put everything in your mouth? Uh, do you have a thought about that? Oh, well, I, I mean, from parent to parent, I also want to know what your thoughts are on it. <laughs> I think 
everything in moderation. Mm -hmm. That's what my mom has always said. So I take some of that into my own parenting. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it is a metaphor for how you choose to guide someone through life, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, I'm, I would not push my child to put trash in their mouth. You know, there are certain, like, sanitation things. But I think that there's so much to be learned, and we have to learn through experience. Mm -hmm. I think that's the... That's what is so interesting to me about experiential design is mm -hmm. that as a, as a product, it engages people in an experience, but as a creator, you have to have an experience mm -hmm. to make an experience, yeah. you know? So, and, and it's never good if you're not having an experience. So, and that's something that I think we forget and devalue a lot and are worried sometimes because an experience is not a flat line. It's got peaks and valleys mm -hmm. and twists and turns and it's uncomfortable and it's delightful and it's everything that life is which is total chaos mm -hmm. you know yeah, when you exactly. see a kid put the thing in their mouth they're like Bleh! sometimes yeah. or oh no you swallowed toilet paper ah yeah, yeah. yeah that happened last week so uh but it is like i think that it is riding that entire experience and i would want all people to have this within bounds you know of safety but but I do think that it's an incredibly important experience to experience life. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Now with the baby, you see putting everything in your mouth and you think, hmm, should I put it in my mouth as well? Just to right. figure out yeah. how would it taste? What does it? my phone? How? Why do you want to eat my phone so bad? Yeah. They all chew on the phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's really interesting that I was uh, watching yesterday um, our daughter and she was um, sitting in this uh, little chair and she was eating one of the strips. And oh. I was licking, and I was, and I thought, yeah, how, how does it taste? Because it was really wet, and she really enjoyed it, watching it, and stuff like that. So that <laughs> it is right. Yeah. So, and it's that is something that when you uh, grow older, it's completely gone. Completely. Basically, it's like, or maybe some people do it, but then it's called uh, fetish or something. Yeah. It's, a, it's not that we put now uh, our notebook in our mouth and start licking. You play with this. You play with the activating the sensors and other question that I uh, was wondering how important is the participation of people who come to your events yeah incredibly important that's the point mm. you know the point is to play with these senses so and also I think when we're in a group there are witnesses around right so part of it is also giving permission to be seen by other people mm -hmm. doing these things yeah and there is safety in numbers, there's also fear in numbers. Mm -hmm. And once again, it's that kind of polarity that I, I am interested in. But the group dynamic is something that I, more and more I think is so essential because we are on our devices so much and mm -hmm. can be so alone, mm -hmm. even though we're so connected, that we're there in our bodies together reminds us that we are a collective human mm -hmm. body, mm -hmm. right? Like we kind of all operate in the same way, we also all operate in very different ways. And that duality is always the dance of being human. Mm -hmm. And so collective experiences are so important for that because you have an alone together moment always. And it's also really fun to do stuff in a group, you mm -hmm. know, even for shy people and even for performative people, you know. Doing things together is something that I find that I, I want to support mm -hmm. always. Context is so important mm -hmm. in experience design. Mm -hmm. I teach experience design at the School of Visual Arts and something that I talk about with students is the, the three P's, people, process, and place. Mm -hmm. And considering all of those and how they relate to each other and what their proportion 
of hierarchy is within that. You know, mm -hmm. if you have an incredible place, that might dictate some of your experience, mm -hmm. right? Or you have a very small corner. All of those things have to are all different materials, and they inform your choices that mm -hmm. you make creatively. So I think it's always a little bit of a balance because, for example, the Licking Ice Cream Orchestra we did once in an abandoned deli mm -hmm. in the like east side of Manhattan. And it was a small thing. It was kind of dark and sort of very DIY feeling. And it was a totally different feeling and totally different experience. And people were packed inside, you know? And it felt maybe more like a punk rock show than it did like a design performance. So that's an example of a place really influencing the emotional experience mm -hmm. of the collective. Um, but then also doing that performance one-on-one -on -one in like if it was in a closet by yourself is a totally different experience, you know? So I think that they're all valid. It's mostly what the choice is. Mm -hmm. What kind of emotion do you want to create in yeah. your participants? Mostly the feeling comes first. Okay. Yeah, the feeling usually comes first and that either arrives through an experience, mm -hmm. you know, like a test of something like, mm -hmm. ooh, that's good, yeah. right? And then everything else is usually like there are all these are hopes and dreams, you know, and I think it's very it's also really interesting to look at student work sometimes and see like everybody makes a design and it will be in a perfect white gallery. Mm -hmm. Like this is everyone's dream, right? And that never really happens. Mm -hmm. And so and but that becomes more beautiful because of all the problems that show up like, oh, no, I rented this space, but it's now flooded. Ah, I thought it was going to be inside. Now I have to do it outside in an alley. Oh no, what do I do, right? So right. that's the point. How do you choose to respond? Mm -hmm. And that's why I also really like working in food because it is a live material. So mm -hmm. something always goes wrong, right. always. You can never really control it. And so you're constantly challenged to be thinking on your feet and therefore be really present with your creativity mm -hmm. and with your team. Yeah. And that for me is the point. It's less about the performance and the object and all of that. I, I delight in all of those things. Mm -hmm. But the real joy is, is the process. And a good example of this is uh, the dream machine, which is mm -hmm. my multi-sensory feeling machine. <laughs> That's a series of bicycle pumps that you pump and they spray the scent and the sound of 10 different emotions. Mm -hmm. And that was created in collaboration with like four other collaborators. And I called it the dream machine at the end because the process of working on it was the dream mm -hmm. of my life like not of my life many things are dreams but it was such a dream to work on it because mm -hmm. everyone was so committed to the idea mm -hmm. and for some reason it's it, those are the moments that I think that the idea was such a happy positive but it was also clearly something we we're all interested in exploring we we're mm -hmm. all interested in exploring how can we communicate emotion through our different media and it became this wonderful dream and I saw that and I was like, this is what I want for my future, you know, this feeling right here. Right. So I named it the dream machine. Right. And <laughs> did, did your work continue on that high? Yeah. That, well, that project has gone on. It was shown at the Brooklyn New Lab, and now it has a permanent home in the Liberty Science Center in New Jersey. It's a science museum. Mm -hmm. and, and I get images of people, like people I went to college with or high school who are there with their families and they send me videos <laughs> of their children playing the dream machine. Yeah. Everyone's so happy. So that project kept on that spirit, you know? Mm -hmm. um, 
And the rest of it, yeah, it appears in different ways, too. You know, mm -hmm. I think life, once you feel a certain feeling, it's easier to hold on. It's easier to recognize where else that feeling shows up in the world. And so it becomes a better uh, steering wheel, right. I think, for yeah. the choices that you want to make. And so that's what I continue to look for, is mm. that feeling. Yeah, it's really nice because that's also really a drive to to find the right spot to um, yeah. create the thing that you really want to create in with all the boundaries that there are. Yeah, but without it, you know, something that I think is important is the difference between a boundary and a border. And there's a really wonderful theoretician, writer, thinker named Richard Sennett. He mm. teaches up at Columbia in New York, and he has written tons of books, and mostly about the effect of architecture and society. One of the books is about borders versus boundaries. Mm -hmm. And this was very inspiring to me when I read about it because he defines that the health of most cities is based on the health of its borders mm -hmm. and that they must be permeable structures. They must foster flow and exchange. And, that, and if they are not, if they are boundaries, and we, can, we have a lot of those going up right now, <laughs> uh, that destroys the health of a place, of a city, of a culture. Because the only we must we will have differences, but if we create this exchange at our borders, we can exist as an ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? Instead of is in an, in isolation. And so, I think of life like that too. You know, so it's it's looking for that emotion, but it's not like it has to appear in this shape because it's also not controllable. You know, mm -hmm. lots of things happen in life that aren't controllable. But if you can use your creativity, I think to to practice that part, to keep looking for opportunities and say, okay, I have some flow, yeah. <laughs> then maybe you can be really happy, because I guess that's the point. To be happy. <laughs> well, yeah. to be fulfilled. Yeah. 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 That's a beautiful ending. Oh, it was so poetic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you something. My last name is Baltz, mm -hmm. and many a time people have said, oh, it's a Baltzian bow. Like, I like to tie bows at the end mm -hmm. it, of my statements. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so maybe this was a Baltzian bow. Um, at the end of, the, of my in interviews, I always um, ask for a single recommendation in five categories. And this Excellent. section is called the Neon Five. Um, let's start with the first is food. What is your favorite food? Or which food would you recommend everybody to eat? My favorite food is dark chocolate with sea salt. Nice. Yeah, energizing, a little stimulating, quite good for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like uh, uh, melted or like really hard, dark? Hard, dark. Okay. Yeah, because it has a crunch and then it can also melt. It does two things. Right. And, um, do, you prefer <laughs> do you prefer that it melts in your mouth or are you really like um, eating, like <laughs> chewing? No, I like your question. This is no, so good. It, yeah. That's what you do because... Um, like the other day, um, I was eating chocolate and I was really like, okay, I need chocolate now. And I eat chewing, chewing, and then I thought, yeah, okay. Chocolate's gone. It's gone. No. Yeah, yeah but I also don't like, like uh, let, it, let it melt in my mouth. Sometimes uh, you do it with a snicker. Oh, yeah. You, you, met, you let the stickers melt. This is interesting. Yeah, and then you, I you, never tried you only this. keep like the peanuts. This is a great technique. Really? Yeah. You can melt it and then you have a mouthful of peanuts? Yeah. My God. You know that. <laughs> I don't know this technique. Why not? You have to film Why these. Not? You could have a whole series of podcasts around how to eat a Snickers. Yeah. Yeah, they'll pay yeah. you. Yeah, probably. <laughs> 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 
Well, I like to let it melt a little bit because you can smell it more. Mm. And if you smell it more, you taste it more. Right. So really good chocolate. Well, this is the difference. Really good dark chocolate, mm -hmm. I can never eat fast. Mm. I have to let it sit in my mouth and mm. melt because it's so much more complex as a flavor profile. You can then really taste all the different nuances that are inside of it. Mm -hmm. Really bad chocolate kind of has a flat, you know, right. so you can yeah, but it's chewing it. chocolate. Yeah, it's uh, chewing chocolate. Yeah. It's not melting. No, it's not melting. Not chocolate. sucking chocolate. No. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. This is a great question. What are the other categories? <laughs> I could talk about this category forever. Uh, yeah, but it's also like I, I'm thinking of a Magnum, you know, the Magnum ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like you can eat the chocolate very quickly and then dive into the, the vanilla ice thing oh. or you lick like the chocolate. I don't lick those. No, I have no, to uh, No, I bite them. Yeah, I bite right. all around and I really like to try to get as much of the chocolate crust off. Right. This is the great success of the Magnum experience is if you can actually remove a whole side intact. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. In, and um, in, at, at once in your mouth. Well, it's hard because those are big. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we're talking about mini. No, the big ones. Yeah, yeah the but big But then ones. you can like hold it and then yeah. go crunch, 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 right. crunch. Yeah. Right, right, right. That I love. So uh, the next category is um, a book. A book. Mm -hmm. my, my favorite book. Yeah. Wow, that's actually much harder than favorite food. So my favorite book is Animal Farm. You know mm -hmm. this book. I really love it because it also my father wrote read to us every night when mm -hmm. we were kids. And I was nine, and he read Animal Farm to us. And I was obsessed with the idea that pigs could talk. Mm. I did not understand the political subtext yeah, here, yeah. right? Or, and, but it was the first time he then introduced metaphor mm -hmm. and talked to us about, no, this is not a, really, it is a story about pigs talking, mm -hmm. but what it stands for is right. this, you know? And so for that reason, I have always loved Animal Farm. I also love it for its criticality. I think Animal Farm I love because it is a critical right. novel. Because oh. it also paints like kind of a magnificent imaginary landscape mm -hmm. and also reminds us that we are filthy animals. <laughs> right. Um, and the next category is a movie. Oh, well this is maybe to be expected. But, oh I have two, can I give you two? Yes. Okay, should I wait for that? Um, yeah, we can wait. So let's go back to the movie. Which movie? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, we were in this my section. favorite movie. <laughs> we were in this section. Well, my favorite movie is comes as no surprise. Uh, but I have two favorite movies, so mm -hmm. I can tell you both. Mm -hmm. Okay. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the Gene Wilder version. Mm -hmm. I love, obviously, mm -hmm. <laughs> because it is so grand and very close to my heart in terms of what I do. The other one is this American movie called Hoosiers. That's a movie about basketball. Okay. <laughs> and it's about this small town basketball team called the, Hiss the Hickory Huskers and about their rise to the championships and their winning right. the championships. And it's an underdog movie. Right. And I watched it all my childhood. But here's the real thing. We were not allowed to watch television as kids. Mm -hmm. We can only watch an hour on Friday and then an right. hour on Sunday. Right. So. The only real media I was exposed to was things that my parents deemed okay, and Hoosiers was one of them. So I watched it like at least a hundred times mm -hmm. and memorized all the words. But I also love the feeling that I like when underdogs win. I like when small yeah. people become big people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I like both of those, the total fantasy and then mm -hmm. the like very human. 
cry your face off. <laughs> uh, now I'm really curious um, to hear which uh, music you like. Oh, I love. This is a problem because I love all music. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you maybe selections across the board. So, I have always really loved music. Should I also wait there? I feel like yeah. these people are. No. So my favorite music is people who make something new, mm -hmm. right? So I, I've always been really interested in electronic music, avant-garde music. Um, and then maybe in popular culture, more like electronic composers, mm -hmm. but people who are still heavily influenced by pop and rock. Mm -hmm. Some people that I love are like Dan Deacon is one of my favorites. He does these wild shows that really are an experience in and of themselves. He makes crazy dance parties and is inventing all sorts of funny ways for the audience to engage. And I really like that. And I like his music because I get really lost in it. Mm -hmm. In that same genre is Panda Bear, which I also really like. These are like early 2000 bands. Um, recently, more recently, I have friends who have a band called The Dawn of Midi, mm -hmm. which is, I think, one of the best bands ever. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they have like one song that's 45 minutes. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, influenced by Reich, and they do better service than me to describe it, but it is upright bass, piano, and drums, mm -hmm. and it's just a trip. Mm -hmm. and, and is it like... Um like a soundscape or is it really a beat? It's a bit of both. I wouldn't ever say upbeat would be the thing I would say, but it is quite rhythmic. Right. Um, and maybe, I would say more ambient, but really sort of drives at you and grows and right. creates like an architectural space almost. But it's an awesome thing to listen to. So those I really love. And then I also have this secret way in my dark closet inside of me is that I also really love musical theater, American mm -hmm. musical theater. And when I grew up, I s memorized all the words to like all the hit musicals in American history. So uh, I have this horrible secret of like being able to sing musical theater really well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought I wanted to be a musical theater performer when I was 17. Yeah, that's why you did this class, right? Which class? The um, writing and dancing. Yeah, uh, screenwriting and screen, dancing. Screen, screen, yeah. Screenwriting. Yes. But I, for some reason, I didn't ever go on to perform. But now I think what I do is performance. Right. You know, yeah. so it all comes back in yeah. some way. But yeah, I was in musicals and I trained in opera and learned wow. to sing classical voice. Yeah. Wow. yeah. That's also th then you also um, learn how to breathe uh, like properly. Yeah. You have an, another sense of your body. You get a totally different sense singing. of your body. Um, last one is a miscellaneous something from your life you would recommend for listeners. Oh, something miscellaneous from my life that I would recommend. I would definitely recommend getting lost on your bicycle often. Mm. Because I think that it's better than being lost on foot because of two things. One, you can get lost faster, which is important. And the other thing is that you can get found faster, which is also important. And both of those things are real and also a metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. So ride your bike fast and furious in directions that you don't know and maybe try to charge your phone so you can find your way back the feeling of being lost is a really important yeah. one you have to be afraid in your life yeah. and then conquer it and find your way again yeah, and exactly. that's very empowering mm. so thank you so much for the conversation i thank really you. enjoyed it same it was really lovely to meet you yeah thank you yeah thank you
Hi, it's Thomas. I want to thank FRTC for inviting me and help me set up this interview at the annual conference in Amsterdam. New episodes come out on Mondays. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, neomare.com or wherever you listen to the show. Let me know what you think of the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by dropping a note on Twitter. I'm at Thomas Daam, at neomare and on Instagram at neomareshow. If you are listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art of this podcast and you find some episode notes. Next to that, Neomare has a weekly newsletter called Neo Monday with the latest conference news and updates on our digitalized world. You can sign up for Neo Monday at neomare.com slash subscribe. And now we also have a Patreon page and you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash Thanks for listening.